Gives it back oh, to Foley. Oh, scores! Oh, no way! Oh, my! No way! This With is no time remaining. Great pass from Dowdy down low. And they score! Gregstrom in game number one has tied it with his first NHL goal. Wagner down the middle. Scores! First career goal. Austin Wagner. Here's Luff looking for his first. Scores! Matt Luff. First NHL goal, and the Kings have the lead. What's left got to do with it? Welcome to Crown Conversations. I am your host, Robin Pennington. Today, I am joined by highly esteemed managing editor, Sarah. I don't know how to say your last name. And our wonderful staff writer, Michael. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. First, let's cover some news. The Kings qualify all of their RFAs except for Brendan Leipzig. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm glad they didn't qualify Brendan. I, I, I don't think he's a top forward. I know he tries hard, but he's definitely not the future. So we might as well just cut bait while we can. Yeah, I mean, I think he was, you know, for a waiver pickup on a bad team, I think he was really good. I think that if they had, you know, unlimited money and unlimited options of things to do, like, sure, why not bring him back? But, you know, it, it's, it seems like the gist is that they, you know, he was going to want more money and more term in his contract than the Kings could really give him, knowing that they have so many new guys to work in. And, you know, it's probably best for him and his career to go look for somewhere that's going to give him more of an opportunity than, than the Kings will. So thank you for your service. You were delightful and small and feisty and good luck elsewhere. Oh, our small boy is gone. Sad. We called him little King up in the big, up in the seats way up high. So um, <laughs> do, do we really think that um, I follow and Kempe are going to sign for just over $2 million? Because I see that's what the estimated new contracts are coming out at. They'd better. Because <laughs> I kept reading all year that I follow on it, you know, somewhere in the $2 million range a year, or maybe 1.75, something like that. I mean, um, I don't have Evolving Wilds predictions on hand. I will try to pull those up. But I believe that Kempe and Ayafalo both come in somewhere somewhere between two and three million dollars. Now the cap only went up half a million dollars. So basically the cap stayed flat and we are looking at a precursor to a lockout. I mean, let's let, let's be honest with ourselves. That's that's essentially what's happening. But I mean, for a cap strap team like the Kings, um, I don't think it's bad to pay those guys $3 million each. Like, Kempe is... 
he's fairly versatile. Uh, uh, the only reason I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about saying that is because he clearly struggled at center at times, but let's face it. Who on the Kings didn't struggle in their position at any point in time last year? I mean, for God's sakes, Drew Daddy, what were you doing most of the year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the Evolving Wild guys had them at, like, slightly over $2 million each. Um, was there, like, I think the the projection was two years, $2 million-ish, $2.5 million. And, you know, I think they can probably get them in under that. I don't, I don't think that they you know, necessarily will end up that high, but, uh, you know, if that's where they end up being, I think it's going to be a good bridge contract for both of them to show, show, like show what they've got. And, you know, Kempe can show if he actually is a legit center and I follow if he continues building on this past season, you know, they'll be due for an upgrade in a couple years and then we'll deal with that problem later. Michael, do you agree? You know, um, I'm one of those few people, I think, that are not really high on Ayafalo. I think that, you know, he's on getting top line minutes and, you know, next to a really great two-way player, uh, even though he had a terrible year, Kopitar did. But um, 33 points on the left wing, I think um, I'm a little bit beyond. He does all the little things you don't see on the scorecard. I, I hear that, I think, every night, and I look up and, you know, he goes long stretches without even getting an assist sometimes. So uh, I think the Kings could be a little more hardball, but uh, the way his salaries are right now, I guess we have to just deal with that at the moment. And Kempe, I think, will be great with uh, uh, some better line mates. You know, he was up and down and all around, um, took – I don't know how many offensive zone penalties at the beginning of the year really killed a lot of the mojo that we feel like they were building. So I'm really hoping that he's got that down. But I think with Grundstrom next to him and whoever they find on the other side, uh, I think that that's going to be a real plus for Adrian. Um, speaking of the left wing on the top line, I, I wrote uh, when I was doing the Andre Kopitar recap that I thought that someone like a Wagner could be a really good fit, you know, getting those nice crisp passes out of the zone from either Brown or Kopitar beating the defense up on, on rushes uh, would be a real strong fit. But um, I would like to see a little bit more production from the top line left wing. That is a hole they have been trying to fill for, uh, what is it, going on a decade now? Yes. That's a long time. Uh, so far, no success. They have had Dustin Brown. They've had Milan Lucic. They had uh, Marion uh, Gaverick for a brief period of time. Uh, I think Jeff Carter was up there for half a second. I, Alex Ayafalo. Uh, you name it. I think they've tried it. And I just don't know if it's possible to find a left wing who is able to play with Kopitar. They tell me it exists, but so far, the Kings have not found one, at least at the right price. I feel like if the season goes really wacky again, they should just start, like, left first line, left wing, Alec Martinez. Like, just give me, just give me something weird. Like, fine. <laughs> Don't make me weep over top line Trevor Lewis, Sarah. 
hey, we might get that again too. Who knows? Oh God, I love Trevor Lewis. I really do. But top playing Trevor Lewis is a thing that needs to not happen. And we we all know that Todd McClellan is going to put Trevor Lewis on the top line probably at least 30 games in the year. Hey, remember when we had, like, top-line Dwight Dwight King and top-line Andy Andrioff? So, like, it could always be worse. <laughs> top-line oh Jordan Nolan for half a second. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> oh, wow. Those, and that's when times were good. Jordan Nolan. Yes. <laughs> We've had some really interesting guys up on the top line. You know, they've earned it, or they're working hard, or... Hasn't Kyle Clifford also taken a spin at left wing next to Andre Kopitar? Probably. I'm, I'm really done seeing Kyle Clifford on anything but the fourth line. I love him, but... Um, all those games that he spent on the second line in place of Kovalchuk last year... I think he produced three goals and an assist in 20-something games. And he was working hard every game. All those post-game scrums, I heard that every night. I, I hope that we don't see that again. So maybe McClellan will bring some order to the lines because they were a disaster last year. And I think even the year before when we were trying to find some offense, you know, racking up 98 points was great, but we couldn't score then either. Um, I don't think they've been able to score since uh, Luke Robitaille uh, left the team or was traded away. Well, we haven't had a 100-point score since, I think, since Wayne Gretzky. That's been a long time ago. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from our RFAs, um, Dion Phaneuf was mercifully bought out. Uh, Thank you for your service, Dion, but you were not the right fit. Thoughts, Sarah? Goodbye. You might be a nice dude, but bye. I feel like the whole, the whole, the whole, his whole tenure with the team just from the very start was incredibly misguided. And of course, you know, they, they didn't know that Marion Gabrick was going to go on permanent long-term injured reserve. You could have predicted it, but they didn't know. Like I get what they were trying to do, like bad contract for bad contract, but like, Oh buddy. I think he scored like four goals as a king, and I'm actually reasonably certain that I was at three of those four games. So what what little success he had in his career as a king, I feel partially responsible for. Uh, but yeah, frees up a spot on the, the blue line for the kids, and good luck. Maybe someone where will sign him for a year and we'll see he'll magically turn into a good defenseman again or something who knows so what you're saying is you are his lucky charm and we can blame apparently you. <laughs> don't you have some odd winning streak sarah at some I, of those I, games? I did i did they did really well on basically almost all of the road games that i went to see them in so you know if if someone wants to like go fund me bankroll a uh, me going on the road for 40 whatever games a year like get at me <laughs> well Dion Phaneuf was the human pylon I can't tell you how many times I wrote that in game recaps he was just I mean people would just skate around him like he wasn't there so as much as I wanted to blame that on Willie Desjardins I don't think I can blame everything on him but it was tempting it was bad last year so He's looking to sign for a million bucks somewhere, so good luck. 
winning another Stanley Cup. It'll probably happen. I will say the one thing that I was, you know, we as much as we all found many things to dislike about our good friend Willie, um, one of the things that I did actually find kind of impressive was that he he scratched Dion Phaneuf. He started scratching him and was like, nope, we're going to see what the kids have to do. Like, I have many other questions about what he did with his lineup construction and roster management and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, he still actually scratched him for a good number of games. And, you know, that's that, that's something, at least, um, that it, it took him that long, of course, to see what we all had seen. But he did it. So, you know, gold star for that. Willie. Wow. <laughs> you had to really dig deep to find a gold star. I, I, I can find one in just about any situation, but it might be a little, a little shaky. Oof. I'm so glad that era's done. Well, as Sarah said, this is actually a really good segue into my next topic. Um, because Sarah, you brought up the young kids. And so Speaking of kids, the draft was completed uh, just last weekend in Vancouver. Everybody seems to be in agreement that the Kings get an A-plus for their drafting. Um, Michael, what do you think? What were your thoughts? Uh, definitely, I definitely agree with that. A, definite A, because I, I really think that if we weren't going to get the two top draft picks, that dropping all the way to five actually benefited us. Uh, we would have picked up Kirby Doc, who, if you go to the Chicago Blackhawks boards, everybody's saying that he's a real divisive influence in the locker room. I don't know how an 18-year-old kid picks up that right away, but uh, every other comment was that they picked up a cancer. So uh, I'm really glad that we didn't get him. I read everything that he was our guy at five, and uh, we could have gotten Byram, and that would have been great next to Dowdy. But Turcotte, who's already got roots in the organization with his dad and his uncle being deeply involved, seems to be the right guy. He, he's got no quit attitude. He is highly skilled. He plays both ways, which will uh, do well with McClellan and his accountability system. I, I, I think that that was great. And if you put in uh, King Arthur, as I'm calling him, and his goal scoring, I think that uh, two out of the first three picks were just amazing. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Arthur Kaliev because a lot of people had him in the first round. But from what I saw, they, uh, the GMs and, and scouts were concerned about his attitude. Even though he grew up in the U.S. and he played in... Um, the USHL, or he played for the national development team, I think it was. Something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, he kind of plays with this um, very, I guess, quiet style. Doesn't really celebrate, doesn't really kind of make him his presence known. Like the big, you know, like Subban. Subban has a really big personality. Dowdy has a really big personality. Um, o Ovechkin has a big personality. You know, these guys are the guys that you know that when they score, when something's happen, when something happens, you know that they're on the ice. So, Sarah, what is your thought when we drafted 
we, <laughs> when the kings drafted uh, Kalia. Yes, we clearly are the actual GMs of the team. That's 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 our secret. Um, I was excited. Uh, I was excited when they drafted him. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the year that they. I mean, they've done it twice now. The year they drafted Jared Anderson Dolan, and then the next year when they drafted Akil Thomas. Both of those were guys who were expected to go in the first round and just kind of slipped down for whatever reason. Um, who knows? Like, it could have been a really stupid, gross reason, but hockey is hockey, whatever. Um, and they are poten- potentially steals of the draft for the Kings. Um, and the same thing with Kaliev here, who um, he's done a little bit with Team USA. He played with the, the Halinka Cup uh, last season, but mostly has been, um, he did two seasons in the OHL. Um, but, you know, I think that you don't score 51 goals on accident. Like, if, if the issue is that he needs to back check more or he needs to, you know, not kind of float on the ice looking to score, like, I'll take that. Like, we'll deal with it. Um, you know, I, I, it, that's, a, that's a criticism that has followed Alex Ovechkin his entire career of, like, he's just floating around looking for a goal. Well, you know what? He's Alex Ovechkin. Like, not that this kid is necessarily going to be the next Alex Ovechkin, but you know what? If you're contributing that much on the score sheet, um, you'll deal with whatever other deficiencies he has. You know, as long as it's not like an attitude, personality, like he's a jerk who no no one wants to play with, which is not what I've heard. You know, the, the issue is just the, like, compete level. Well, if you're scoring goals, like, every time you blink, you, you, you don't have to compete. Like, you're just there scoring goals. Um, so I think that, you know, he's still a young kid as his game matures and, you know, he gets working under a coach that is going to push him to play that kind of two-way game and be responsible and not just look to be an opportunistic, like, scorer. I, th- I think I think he could be a really great steal uh, for the Kings, um, provided that he keeps up all the hard work that he's done just in two short years in juniors. You know, um, you were saying that not too many guys score 50 goals, and but in the CHL, the under-18 guys that have scored 50 goals in the last 10 years, there's only three of them. There's our King Arthur, uh, Alex DeBrinkett, and Jeff Skinner. That's it. There's been a lot of great players that have run through that league, but only three have done it in the last, I think it's the last 12 years. So, And he did. He scored 51 goals in 67 games not in an 82-game schedule. So, I mean, his goals per game is just amazing. And from what I can see from his interaction at the development camp and all the video that's come out, it looks like he's integrated already well with his peers. So I'd be really interesting to see that. You know, his coach, by the way, on the Hamilton Bulldogs, he um, he coached Dylan Strom and Alex Dabrinkit, and he said that he's uh, the most dynamic player that he's had in his six years coaching that. So I'm, I'm really up on him. He's going to be my guy. So for a team like the Kings, where they are very anemic offensively, you think it's worth the risk for them to take a flyer on somebody who has supposed um, attitude issues? I, I do. I And I, I think that that's something that can be coached out. You know, we have great coaches across our system, um, you know, on the NHL down to the AHL and the other minor leagues that we have, the, the coaching that we have there 
makes it so we don't have these attitude problems. I never hear about that uh, across the team. So I, I think Blake, Rob Blake was saying uh, after the draft that there's only been two guys that they've uh, failed in their whole time um, drafting players that failing in the sense that they couldn't manage them and get them to integrate well with, with the team. So um, I think that that flyer is well worth taking. You know, it's interesting that um, the Kings uh, did draft Kaliev, um, and at the same time, they drafted Tobias Bjornfoot, who they said that they drafted specifically for his attitude. Now, he has been called a leader. He has been called, like, one of the, I guess, like, the most stabilizing influences in his locker room. I don't know if that's that last part was necessarily true, but um, for, by all accounts, he has, like, Los Angeles King basically written all over him. He's the Swedish Anze Kopitar, uh, in, in a sense, in a personality sense. What do you think, Sarah? You know, I think that, realistically, I think they probably could have flipped those two picks and taken Kaliev in the first round and Bjornfoot in the second round. But, you know, I, I, I don't... It was really interesting seeing the response online um, to those two picks right in a row, because whenever we talk online about, you know, Bjornfoot and like one of the first things Rob Blake said was, you know, I was really impressed with his character, his leadership skills, et cetera, et cetera. And the response online immediately was, we don't need character and leadership. We need people who can score goals. Okay, fine. The next round they draft Kaliev, who has, some potential, you know, effort slash compete slash whatever issues. And the response is, we don't care about effort, compete, leadership, whatever. We just want someone to score goals. And so I'm like, well, this is a very catch 22 kind of thing. Like, I I don't really know what you want. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that Rob Blake has done a very good job of kind of Looking at what Dean Lombardi did in terms of looking for high character players, but also finding those high character players who are going to contribute at a level above Cal Clifford, who again, we all love, but does not really do much other than offer heart and soul um, and occasionally fight people. And I think, (laughs) and I think that like Blake has, and, and the scouts and you know everyone responsible for the draft have really navigated that well of finding guys like Jared Anderson Dolan, who everyone says is basically a future captain, or guys like Mikey Anderson, who has you know been a leader on the U.S. team at Worlds and you know now is turning pro and has been a leader on his college team, whatever. Um, and but those guys are also very highly skilled players, recognized in their leagues and in their you know their national teams and everything as both leaders and guys who can make a difference on your team on the ice. Um, so in that respect, I think that Bjornfoot was kind of a little bit of a reach talent wise, because he's not going to be Drew Doughty. He's not going to be Jake Muzzin. Um, but if he's the kind of guy who can provide a steady presence on the blue line and not make egregious mistakes or, you know, make the team worse and yet can also be someone who eventually will step into a leadership role. Fine. Like do it. Everyone seems to love him. I, I, there was one 
someone talked to like basically all of the other Swedes who played on those juniors teams with him. And when they would ask, you know, who was the best leader, like the most important guy on your team, like universally, they all said Tobias Bjornfoot. So he's doing something right. If he can get a bunch of other like 17 year olds to buy into whatever, whatever he's doing. So I liked it. Michael, what did you think of uh, Bjornfoot? Well, when the pick was announced, I had to dive pretty deep to find who he was and what he was. Um, I I covered the draft myself pretty extensively, writing a bunch of um, profiles and recaps on some of the people, and he wasn't on my radar at all. I was I was disappointed that we we took him that high in the in the first round, especially, especially since, you know, he, he's might be projected as a third pairing defenseman. And I don't know, I don't know if we waste a first round draft pick on that, but uh, I do agree with what Sarah's saying that, you know, he's a high quality guy and a um, top character guy. I also read and in a bunch of different places that he's a minutes eater. Um, you know, that's what we wanted from Derek Forbort. Um, and, you know, he hasn't really panned out to be that way. So if he could fill that role one day eventually, even if he's doing it, you know, kind of down in the minors for a long time, uh, I guess that would be okay. I just I, I just think on your first-round picks, they should be someone you fully guaranteed will be a really top, more of a top-tier guy. So at least a top-four defenseman, if not a top pairing. And, you know, if you're looking for a forward, um, they should be able to put the puck in the net or do those things that Kopitar does. That you know, he's just everywhere doing everything. So even if he's only producing 65 points, he's on the other end preventing a lot of goals the other way. But you know, to be a little long-winded, I I, I think they could have done better. But if we put Kaliev at at the first-round pick at 22 and Tobias at the 33rd pick, I probably would be happy and say, wow, this was pretty great that we got these picks in that order. So uh, we got the guys we wanted. It just was in a little bit different order. Well, they still got them, so I guess that's all that matters. Right. Exactly. So he's going to be a little bit someone we judge a little harsher because he's a first-round draft pick, but... Um, you know, if, if he fills all those roles and we have all these leadership guys playing defense, that's really what you want from a team known for their defense. Yeah, and no offense to Derek Forward, the first-round draft pick who took five years to develop the maximum possible to still get an ELC. Um, <laughs> I just really hope Foot does better than Forward. <laughs> that's all I can really hope for. Yeah, doesn't it make you wonder if we could have McNabb back instead of Forbert? Oh, God. No, I don't want McNabb back. McNabb is useless for the Kings. Well, he was, but we could blame that on coaching, too. Gosh, I'd like to blame a lot on coaching. If only. Um, But there was an interesting thing, since we're on the topic of of Bjornfoot, there was an interesting thing that came out of development camp. He is actually a big Abba fan. He loves Mamma Mia, and he was introduced to tacos by Turkut at Chipotle. 
Now, I have to roast Turcut a little bit because you're in Los Angeles and you go to, look, there's nothing wrong with Chipotle. I like Chipotle. I think Chipotle's great. I just, you're going to introduce somebody to tacos at Chipotle? Like, really? Well, maybe they don't have good tacos in Illinois or wherever Alex is from. No. I, I can say with confidence, I know the exact area where he was raised in uh, the near-ish Chicago suburbs, and there are no good tacos there. <laughs> so, and I, I know where the National Development Team program plays in Michigan, and uh, I've spent a little time there, and not a particularly good taco area. So I, I, I think that it's a, a bit of lack of exposure for him. Um, also, I will say that I have seen my share of AHL players for the AHL team that I cover. Uh, there's a uh, Chipotle literally right across the street from the arena. <laughs> and uh, if you time it right, you bump into a bunch of them there. <laughs> so I, I hope that uh, with, with time and exposure in Los Angeles, someone can teach that boy about, uh, about tacos. He's going to Madison for college. And I, I, I have not experienced particularly good tacos there either. So may take a couple years for him to see the light, as it were. Oh, dear U.S. Midwest, what are we going to do with you? I mean, all he had to do was, like, drive, like, an hour plus into the city, and there's so many good tacos here. But, you know, that's what happens when you're a teenager and are playing hockey, like, all the time. No time for taco adventures, I guess. Yeah, but when you're 16, are you really going to drive an hour for tacos? When you're 22... Absolutely, you will drive an hour for good tacos. But when you're 16, you're like, just give me some tacos right now. Chipotle. Exactly. Chipotle. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I guess I shouldn't be too hard on, on the poor Midwestern Alex Turcott. And it's not like Tobias Bjornfoot knew any better. He's like, oh, taco. Okay, sure. God, it makes me not want to go to Sweden if they don't have good tacos. But they have so much good other things, and usually in ball form. For whatever reason, a lot of Swedish food happens to be in ball form. And pickled. So they have pickled and ball-shaped food in Sweden. Ball-shaped food. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact for you guys. All right. Um, So let's see. We've covered the draft. We've covered the prospects. Um... I guess let's just look to the schedule now. All about the future, right? So the schedule just dropped, what was it, on Tuesday, I think it was? Tuesday, Uh, indeed. And there were some interesting things in there. Their road trip, I was talking to Sarah about this, their uh, Grammys road trip is a real head-scratcher. They go from Vegas to Philly and then um, to Florida, uh, it's like, um, okay, schedule maker, I get that you're dealing with 31 teams and 32 arenas because of the Islanders. Um, but really, geography-wise, this, this, this makes no sense. Isn't the Grammys this year, though, in the middle of that bye week and all-star break? Because they're off from... The 19th through the 29th, 29th is, of January is when they come back. And the Grammy sits 
January 26th. So it's in the middle of the bye week this year. Well, the Grammys road trip typically takes place around the second week of February because that's my birthday and Sarah's birthday. I'm looking at that. You're right. But this year, the Grammys is the 26th of January. Yeah, it's weird because last year, the Grammys were in New York. Right. So it was easy for us. So they're still calling it the Grammys trip, even though the Grammys will be gone by then. I I don't honestly know if anybody other than fans call it the Grammys road trip. Goodness gracious. But yeah, they they have some interesting um, things. Sarah, what else did you notice in the schedule? Um, It's just weird that that I it there's so many chunks of it that just make no sense. Like December, I, I sure hope by December they figured out how to win on the road because they're basically not home at all. Um, that New Year's Eve game should be should be fun. Um, I don't. I think it's the first. Someone said it's the first time in a long time they've had a a home game that night. Um, so that that should be a good time. Um, I feel like there's some. There's not. I, last year there was that. Well, there's those, there's one really long home home stretch in in March. Um, Ten games. And I, yeah. And I, I, nine games. And I, I feel like I just, I wish I had more hope slash confidence in what the team is going to look like because that could be a real, like, you know, bank up some points. You know, you're playing at home and, you know, store up all those points so you can kind of coast through the end of, through April to make it into the playoffs or whatever. But I feel like instead, by that that home stretch, home stand there, they're probably going to be clawing for every point possible. Um, I do like that they're not opening the season against the Sharks. <laughs> I, I I feel like every year it's the Sharks, and every year something bad happens to to Jonathan Quick in that game. Uh, so having the home opener be against Nashville is a little new and different. Um, I was trying to schedule like a personal trip for myself and I ended up scheduling it around Halloween and had to schedule it because there was a a sale on flights that was ending before the schedule came out for, for hockey. And I was like, well, I gotta, gotta buy this flight because it's really cheap and it won't be cheap tomorrow. And I just miraculously, my trip leaves the day after the Kings come through Chicago (laughs) So I will, I will be able to see that game, but I was like, this will be my worst nightmare is I schedule a trip out of town and it is the time that they come through my city. So, um, that whole Chicago thing is bizarre. They're playing Chicago on the 27th in Chicago and then they play in LA and at the very beginning of November. So it's like a home and home and they usually spread those out pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the schedule everywhere is just real strange. Like, keep, like you know, uh, since I live in Chicago, I keep an eye on their schedule just to see hockey. And even, like, Chicago's schedule is also very bizarre. I feel like the schedule maker this year was just, like, having... Well, yes, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, um, because all, the whole schedule is very weird. You're talking about that home-and-home San Jose has a home and home with Buffalo in October. So they play Buffalo at SAP Center, and then two days later, 
they're going to be in Buffalo to play the Sabres. And I'm just going, I, I don't really understand. And I've seen some of the other schedules and I'm just, I'm looking at it going, okay, do you, do you not understand geography? Cause um, again, with the sharks, well, I live in San Francisco. So to be fair, I kind of keep an eye on the shark schedule, but also the sharks did this really amazing thing with their schedule by releasing a playlist this year. So I got really interested in their schedule. But they have this one road trip where they're going in the New York area, and then they go, um, I think it was Philly, then New Jersey, um, and then, or yeah, so it's, they go Rangers, Islanders, Flyers, and then back to the Devils. I'm going, okay, sure, why not schedule maker? It just... I don't know what the algorithm is that they used or, or whatever, but go home, schedule maker, you're drunk. <laughs> there's there's actually a really interesting article, and I, I always hate being the person who's like, did you read the article about, but that's who I am as a person. Um, Mark Lazarus at The Athletic last season uh, did a really great article where he talked to the guy who makes the NHL schedule um, and how it's basically an impossible job and you essentially have to choose who you want to piss off the most or the least. And every year, like you have to be like, okay, well I made this team really mad last year. So I'm going to not make them really mad this year. Like, like they, they apparently do kind of like a preliminary schedule where they're not all of the games are on the calendar and they give people a chance to you know, give some feedback or like, Oh no, wait, we actually can't, do home games that day or like, Oh, we were really hoping to be home to celebrate the arena's 50th birthday or something. Um, and how they have to like take all this into account. And of course, no matter what you do, someone's going to be mad at you about it. Um, if you're an athletic uh, subscriber, um, not to shill for a paid outlet that doesn't know that I exist, but it was a really fascinating story about, just how like awful of a job it is. And like, we kind of make fun of it, but also like, I can't even, I can't get like four people's schedules to line up at my day job to have like a 20 minute conversation. I can't imagine trying to do this. Um, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, one good thing about the December stretch where they're hardly at home, two of the games are in Anaheim. So there's four home games and 11 road, but we know those two, uh, road games in Anaheim are just like home games, so at least they have that going for them. So it's more like six and six and nine in December. That's not so bad, especially when they go that stretch in February, March. They're fifteen out of sixteen home games. I've never seen a stretch like that in my life. Yeah, the March one was bizarre because I think it was um, Alex Faust when he tweeted out the schedule. Um, he was like 10 home games total, I think, in March. And then you have a, a stretch where there's nine in a row. And I was just looking at the schedule going, none of this makes any sense. But I don't know. I guess you can't count on the Clippers to really do anything. Unless, the are the Clippers moving next year? I thought it was, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think the arena was going to be ready yet uh, in... Um, Wherever they're moving to. But It'll be a good day when they move because we won't have to play all those afternoon games or have to scramble so hard to get out of the way either way. Yeah. 
hopefully uh, AEG just fills it with other um, concerts and shows and, and stuff like that instead of sports. Sports are harder as a tenant than, you know, having concerts and stuff. But circling back to the beginning of the schedule, I'm looking at it now, and I see that they have four openings that they're going to be a part of. They're going to be at Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and then they come back home for Nashville. So that's four home openers that they get to be a part of. That's going to be a lot of uh, a, a lot of time before the song, as uh, Daryl Sutter would say. I think it's actually just Vancouver because the season actually starts on the second, and Edmonton and Calgary get all get their stuff out of the way already. Um, but Vancouver, I think, also starts on the road for the first couple of days and then comes back. And so it's we we the Kings open Vancouver's schedule, but Edmonton and Calgary already already did all their nonsense. Although that would be hilarious if they just started every single game with having to deal with like and now your fourth line left wing from Saskatchewan like and just sitting there like oh this again I mean that that did actually happen to a team last year I forget who it was I think it was like Nashville or San Jose or somebody where they had like three or four home openers that they were a part of and they're just like kill me now because by the time they finally got home they still had their own home opener to do Oh, I do not envy the job of the schedule maker. Thank goodness we don't have to do that. <laughs> All right, so uh, as we wrap up this little podcast here, I just want to close with one thing. And what's one thing that you guys are most looking forward to next year? I, I think that the... Kings are going to be closer to that 98-point team. I know everybody thinks I'm crazy, but um, I've never seen a collection of guys have their worst year, every single one of them, up and down. There are only two guys that had even close to a decent year, and one got traded, and the other was a backup goalie, and he got hurt too. So I think that there's going to be – I'm looking forward to a cohesive team that's putting their full effort in that doesn't hate the guy that's uh, trying to coach them. Uh, and that's what I'm looking forward to this year. Just some old Kings hockey, even if we don't win, just to get back into the swing of playing together as a group. I'm looking forward to seeing more, more from the young guys. Um, I've always been a little more like prospect focused in, in my writing. And so uh getting to see some of these guys like Jared Anderson Dolan, perhaps getting to actually make the team this year, instead of, you know, being sent back to juniors, instead of, you know, being in a toxic, you know, shame pit of badness um, with the Kings, um, you know, getting to see some of those guys get to step up and make an impact. Um, and, you know, the continued, you know, growth of guys like Matt Law for Austin Wagner um, to really grow into being, NHL players, um, you know, like it or not, our guys are, you know, the guys that we saw win Stanley Cups are getting older, um, and we need those next generation of players to to turn it on. So this is this is their chance. This and so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing 
uh, more of them and hope that maybe they can spark our veteran guys to try a little harder this year. Well, the good part about that, Sarah, is that they'll actually get played this year instead of every game being told that they will play more. (laughs) Shocking. Yes. All right. Well, this has been a really interesting podcast. Um, I think we are going to call it uh, an end here. You you don't, you don't get to get out of this without telling us what you're most looking forward to. Oh, All because you're nice. the host doesn't mean you don't get to answer the question. What? Uh, <laughs> I am the host. This is my podcast. Um, <laughs> I will answer your question, Sarah. What am I looking forward to most next year? Seeing if these guys can pull themselves up by their so-called collective bootstraps and seeing if they're really willing to actually put in the work this year. I mean, Tyler Toffoli was like, you know, practice was terrible. Nobody wanted to try. So I'm interested to see if they are ready to put up or shut up this year. They're going to do it. I'm telling you guys. All right. Well, I think that's a, a really good note to end the podcast on. I'd like to thank my guests, Highly esteemed managing editor, Sarah, and wonderful staff writer, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, shout out if you want to uh, find them on social media. Guys, shout out your handles. I'm at go or go ahead. Spell that. It's the words go or go ahead. It's a phrase because I had to be difficult when I made it years ago. I always, in my head, it looks like gore. Like, ah, that's, that's how I think of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, at Marketing VIP on Twitter. Very easy, very simple to remember. So, all right. And then I am Robin underscore JFTC, like the initials of our blog. So, very easy. Again, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, Next podcast, TBD, but probably sometime in July. So thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All right, bye.